chapter number 5, the Bible says that God commendeth His love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I, I don't know about you, I have a hard time understanding why God did. I, I told some folks a while back, I said, you know, when we get to heaven, uh, we, get to, we get to know things that we don't know now. And I'm looking forward to that, aren't you? I am. I, I don't know. I, I wonder often when we get to heaven if we'll even then understand why God loved us. It's something that I don't, I don't fully understand. Because the truth of the matter is this, that when we're born, we're born sinners. And uh, I think a lot of people think, well, we're sinners because we sin, but that's not the truth. We're born with a nature in us that has a, a desire to do bad. If you don't believe me, you have a baby in the first few hours that you have it. That baby is all about itself, isn't it? It's screaming its head off, I want this, I want that. Give it to me, give me, give me, give me. And I mean, from the time we're born, we're that way, aren't we? We tend to have that nature about us. We get old enough to understand between right and wrong. How many times in our life do we choose the wrong? And I fear that sometimes we think that we are sinners only because we do wrong and that if we can do enough good, it may offset the fact that I'm a sinner. But the fact of the matter is, I'm already a sinner. And I sin because I'm a sinner. And nothing that I can do can undo that. And when I look at Romans 5, and it talks about God loving me when I was a sinner, that's hard to understand, isn't it? Think of somebody in your life that did you wrong. I mean, did you wrong. Just bold-faced, blatantly, did you wrong. Do you think you'd have enough love for that person to take your only child and let them die in their place? Man, that'd be hard for me. I've got three kids. Depending on how they behave, most of the time I wouldn't want to give any of them up. <laughs> uh, you parents know what I'm talking about. There's not a child that we have that we'd be willing to give up for somebody else, is there? God did. And he did it for somebody that didn't even love him at the time. He did it for somebody that was a sinner already. When I look at that and I think he, he did that for me, it's hard for me to get over that. It, it's hard for me not to get excited that he gives me this free gift of eternal life. The Bible teaches us that we don't get saved by our church membership or attending church. I think attending church is a good thing. If y'all didn't attend church, I'd be out of a job today. <laughs> I think attending church is a good thing, but it won't save you. I think getting baptized is a step of obedience to Christ once we're saved, but it doesn't get you saved. If all you did was get baptized, then you came up a wet sinner. But you weren't saved. In Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us, For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, there's a lot of people, I, I've asked people before, in fact, just a few weeks ago, I was talking with a person, 
And I said, what, what do you think you have to do to be saved, to go to heaven when you die? He was sitting there, laying there in the bed as I was talking with him. He's very sick. And he said, well, I, I, think, uh, I think if I live a really good life, I've really tried to do right in my life. And uh, I told him, I said, you know, you gave me the answer that the vast majority of people give when I ask that question. I said, you know what the Bible talks about when, when, when God looks at what he calls our righteousness? Take the very best characteristics that you have. <clears throat> Maybe you, uh, you have a heart for the poor. You like to give money or help the poor out. <clears throat> Maybe you see somebody down on their luck and you come over and lend a helping hand and encourage them. You can take the very best that you have. And God calls them your righteousness. And you know what they look like to God? The Bible says they look like filthy rags. I had a, a rag a while back that I used to clean my grill off with. It was nice and white when I started. Can I tell you this? It was not nice and white when I was done with it. It had grease caked all on it. And that wasn't the worst. I, when I got done cleaning it, I laid it off to the side out there on the porch and uh, forgot about it. Any of you ever do that? Forget about the rag that was laying there? Several weeks later, I'm back there, and I see this rag laying on the ground, and I go down to pick it up, and there's these little white things crawling around in it. You say, Brother Greg, that's gross. Can I tell you, that's what our righteousness looks like to God. How in the world do we think we can take all of our righteousness... Stand before God and say, here it is. This is what I have to give you so you can let me go to heaven. Doesn't work, does it? The truth is, we can't. When Jesus was alive on this earth, there was a rich young man that came to him one day. The Bible calls him a rich young ruler. So not only did he have wealth, but he had power and prestige. And he came to Jesus and he said, What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him, he said, Go and keep the commandments. And the young man said, This have I done from a youth. What was Jesus' response? Anybody remember? He said, Then <laughs> go and sell all that thou hast and give to the poor. You know what Jesus did when he said then? He was telling that young man that keeping the commandments is not enough. He told the young man, he said, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And the Bible says the young man went away sorrowful, for he had great riches. But do you know if the young man had taken Jesus at his word and gone out and sold everything he had and came back and said, okay, I've given it to the poor, you know what Jesus would have said? Then, <laughs> and he would have given him something else. Because what Jesus was trying to show the young man was there was nothing that he could do to inherit eternal life. And I tell you this morning, if you're sitting here today, there is nothing you and I can do to get to heaven. Not one thing. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. I cannot pay enough money. I cannot do enough good deeds. I cannot help the poor enough. I cannot be a, a, a virtuous and a noble fellow enough to get to heaven. 
Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ, who was perfect, came to this earth 2,000 years ago. We're getting ready to celebrate it, aren't we, here at Christmas time? It's a special time. I know everybody likes to get gifts and talk about Santa Claus and all the uh, winter stuff, and we like to listen to Christmas music and watch all the Hallmark movies of Christmas, and all the girls just, yeah. But you know, that's not what Christmas is about. Christmas is about God's Son coming in my place. And He took the punishment that should have been mine. And by the way, can I say this? He took the punishment that should have been yours. And He said, I'll take it. The book of Hebrews, it uses the word surety. It says that He's the surety. In fact, take, hold your place here in Isaiah 65. We may not get there. Let's look in Hebrews for a minute. This, this is good stuff. I, I, think, I think it helps us to understand this. Look with me, if you will, in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 7. We might get back to Isaiah 6. How late do you all want to stay today? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Visitors are like, oh, no. what are we? <laughs> we'll have you out at a decent time. Hebrews chapter 7. Look at this for me with, with me. <clears throat> By, verse number 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. My daughter's 22 years old. For the last two years, she has owned her first car that she bought herself. I remember going down to the car dealership with her and looking at the car and test driving it, making a deal on it. And they said, okay, we're going to make the deal. They shook hands. And you know how car dealers are. they got to have a lot of paperwork, right? <laughs> uh, I asked Tyler if he liked selling cars. He said, I don't sell them. I work on them. <laughs> right? That's the way these salesmen, boy, they got all this paperwork to do. And uh, they came and they said, uh, Alyssa, I need you to sign here, 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 and here. This is for your financing. And then she got done signing, and he took the paperwork, and he slid it over in front of me. Anybody know why he did that? I had to co-sign that thing. I know my daughter. I didn't know if I wanted to do that or not. Because she didn't have enough credit. And when they did that, what I was telling the bank was, if my daughter fails to keep up her end of the agreement... Take that penalty and put it on my account, and I'll pay it for her. That's the same thing that is being said here in Hebrews chapter 7. Isn't that good? God made a covenant with man on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. He knew that man could not keep covenant. We cannot keep our promises to God, can we? At some point, we're going to mess up and sin against him again, aren't we? He made this covenant, and the Bible says that Jesus is the surety of that better testament. He's the guarantor. He's the co-signer. He's the one that says to his father, when Greg Boer sins again, and he will, I've already paid it. It's on me. It's not on him anymore. And you know what I have to do in order to take advantage of that? I don't have to 
I don't have to labor and work around the clock. I don't have to slave for God. I don't have to be a pastor. I don't. I don't have to get baptized. I don't have to join a church. You know what God tells us we have to do? We have to put our trust in Him. To say, I'm not relying on the things I can do. I'm relying on the things that Jesus has done. To put my faith in Jesus Christ. To say, if I have any chance of making it to heaven, it's going to have to be because of what He's done, not because of what I can do. I have to put my trust in Him. And that's it. Faith alone. For by grace are you saved through faith. The word grace, I was, we were, my son and I were on a porch yesterday afternoon uh, doing some wood sealing, trying to help a fella out that needed his porch sealed. And he said, Dad, that's a great saying. And I'm like, what is he talking about? Just out of the clear blue. God's riches at at Christ's expense. I said, where do you see that? And I looked up, and this person had a cross hanging beside their door, and it said, grace. And he remembered that statement, God's riches at Christ's expense. I don't gain heaven because of what I've done. I gain heaven because I'm trusting in what he's done. Isn't that wonderful to know that we don't have to work? We don't have to, we don't have to go out of our way to get eternal life. To love God in such a way because He's loved us. To say, Lord, I'm trusting You and You alone. I hope everybody here's done that. It's not a hard thing. You don't have to know how to pray to do it. <laughs> I've heard people say, well, I just don't know how to pray. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When my heart cries out to God and says, God, I know I, can't, I cannot save myself. I've got to trust you and you alone. Then I've called upon the Lord. When I get to that point where I realize there's nothing I can do to save myself, and I'm depending completely and wholly upon Him. I've used the illustration so many times before of a chair. You know, I'm, I'm a big fella. If you haven't noticed, uh, well, you must be blind. I'm a pretty big fella. Several years ago, I was at a picnic and sat down on one of those plastic lawn chairs. You know what I'm talking about? I was sitting there for a few minutes, and all of a sudden, I heard a real loud crack. And the next minute, I'm laying on the ground with this chair in pieces. And the truth was, I had trusted in it, and it failed me. And I landed on the ground. But I come in here to church, and I look at our chairs, and I say, well... These are made out of steel. They're, they're welded together. They've got heavy uh, cushions and fabric and everything's heavy duty. And I can believe that that chair will hold me. And here's the problem that a lot of people have. A lot of people believe that God can save them. But they haven't trusted Him to save them. They haven't relied on Him. They still rely on things they do. We've been teaching on a particular group of folks on Wednesday night and how we need to share the gospel with them and one of the things that they hold to is that they are saved by the grace of God after they've done all they can do. Can I tell you, if that's your, your mindset, then all you're doing is believing that God can save you, but you're not trusting Him that He will save you. 
And really, I can stand here all day and talk about the virtues of that chair, how good that chair is, how well it's built, and the attributes of that chair. And I can say, I believe it'll hold me, and I can do that till I'm blue in the face, but I'm still not trusting in it, am I? Until I walk over to it and I start to sit down and I get to the point where if, I, if that chair fails, I'm going to the floor. <laughs> I have lost my balance, and I'm going to either plop into that chair and it's going to hold me, or I'm going to plop into that chair and we're both going to the ground together. At that moment where I shift from keeping my own balance to trusting that chair to hold my balance, I now have trusted in that chair. And can I say this? There's a lot of times that people, very sincere people, believe that God can save them. But they've never trusted Him to save them. They've never said, I am relying wholly and completely upon Him and Him alone. Not my good works. Not my church membership. John chapter number 3, verse number 16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have an everlasting life. We've got to get to the place where we are not just trusting that God can do it, but we're trusting that He will do it. Where we get to the place where we're not trusting anything else but ourselves to get to heaven when we die. Can I tell you this? If you've not done that yet, you can do it today. You can let God know you're doing that today. And I would encourage you here. In just a little bit, we'll have an invitation if God's um, shown that to you and you'd like to get that matter settled today. We'll be glad to pray with you, take God's Word and show you that and how you can make that decision for Him today. Well, I guess we'll go back to Isaiah then. (laughs) A little bit of an unusual service today, but I want to share a few things with you very quickly. Isaiah chapter number 64. We're going to look at one verse of Scripture Isaiah chapter number 64 and verse number 8. But now, O Lord, Thou art our Father, we are the clay, and Thou art potter, and we all are the work of Thy hand. Father, we pray that You'll bless the message, and may it speak to our hearts, may it draw us closer to You, and help us to become more of what we ought to be for You. Lord, if there is someone here today that is not saved, I pray that they would get that matter settled, that they would put their trust in you today, and you alone, nothing else, to save their souls. Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would be able to have free reign and free course in the message this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah chapter 64, verse number 7, there's uh, a, a word picture given here of a potter and the clay. And I, I want to bring a couple of things out by way of introduction. And then I want us to look at some things today regarding the clay. The truth is, in verse number 7, or I'm sorry, verse number 8, the Bible says, But now, O Lord, Thou art our Father. We are the clay, and Thou art a potter. Now, I want to just say this, that while we understand the concept of, of God the Father being uh, our potter and, and being the one that is the one to mold us and make us into what we ought to be once we're saved. I, I want us to understand this, that the clay uh, does not own the father or the potter, but rather the potter owns the clay. Uh, the, the, we, don't, we as the clay don't look at the potter and say he's ours. 
uh, the potter looks at the clay and says, that clay belongs to me. And I think sometimes in our lives we get those things backwards and we begin to say, okay, uh, I'm going to uh, make God my God and isn't He blessed that I am claiming Him as my God? The truth of the matter is we belong to Him when we trust Him as our Savior and we're the ones that are the beneficiaries of belonging to that relationship. There's nothing that we bring to the relationship that God looks at and says, boy, if I didn't have Greg in a relationship with me, then boy, I'd really be hurting. But the truth is, I benefit from Him. He's the one that owns me. I'm His property. And this, this idea of the potter and the clay shows us that the clay belongs to the potter, not the potter to the clay. He talks about in verse number 8, But now, O Lord, Thou art our Father, we are the clay, and Thou art potter. We are all the work of Thy hand. This is all within Your will. This is all what You have for us. And I want you to understand, secondly, not only does... Are we the property of the potter once we're saved and we trust Christ as our Savior? But also, it, the, the, the clay has no will of its own. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not before, but we went to a place uh, here a while back as a family that had the craftsmen out doing stuff. You know what I'm talking about? And the people uh, had that wheel, go, wheel going and uh, they had the clay on there. Anybody ever watch that stuff? Boy, that's, that's amazing to watch that. And I looked as I watched this person doing this, and he's forming this thing, and until he gets to almost about the end of it, you don't really know what he's making. And I looked over, and he's got this whole pile of all these clumps of clay that he's working with and getting ready to, to shape and fashion. And I have yet, in watching uh, these people do this over the years, I have yet to look over and see some form of clay over here that is all of a sudden structuring itself by itself. The clay doesn't have a will of its own. It is not up to the clay... What vessel it becomes, but it is up to the potter. And so many times in our lives when we get saved and we trust Christ as our Savior, I fear that we say, Lord, I'm going to trust you for my salvation, but by the way, I want to make out of my life what I want in my life. I think one of the great travesties of the Christian life is, is that we do not get to the place where we say, Lord, I want in my life what you want for my life. I want your will to be mine. I watch it in young people. I was a youth pastor for many, many years. And a lot of young people that would say, uh, they'd come and talk with me. say, Brother Greg, um, I don't know exactly what God has for my life, but I really like doing this, and I want to do this with my life. And maybe somewhere down the road God will use me, but I want to do this, 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 and this. And I used to say, you know, we don't want to come to God and ask for His permission to do things with our life. We want to come to God and say, Lord, what do you want with my life? You, you tell me what you want, and then I'll follow with it. Why? Because I don't have a will of my own. I'm supposed to be the clay. I'm not sitting there trying to fashion myself. I want the potter to fashion me. I want him to have something involved in, in fashioning and forming me into what I ought to be. Now, in order for him to do that, and, and for us to realize these two things, that first of all, we are the property of God. He, he owns us, by the way. Amen? Aren't you glad of that? If we're saved today... The Bible says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. We are bought with a price. And can I tell you this, that while salvation is free, it certainly was not cheap. It took the price of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to buy our salvation. We are bought with a price. He owns us. He has every right to our lives. 
I've heard people say, well, who does God think he is to tell me I can or do, do this or I can't do this? He's my Savior. He's bought me. He's purchased me. He owns me. He has every right. And by the way, if I love him as I should, that's not going to bother me a bit. I'm going to be so grateful and thankful that he does. Not only does he own me, but I don't want to have any will of my own. I want him to fashion me. If he's going to be able to do so, there's three things about the clay I want us to look at very quickly and we'll be done. I promise I won't keep you late. I know we're running a little long today. There's three things that I got to thinking about as I was thinking about the clay that are very imperative in order for the potter to make out of the clay what he wishes to make out of the clay. The first thing that we know about the clay is it has to be pure. There has to be purity of the clay. I've watched as these people uh, have done clay. In fact, I was in Pigeon Forge, uh, Sevierville area years ago, and watching a, a person that was at the a pottery barn and, or pottery place there and was making some things. And he was making some vases and pitchers and cups and things. And I watched as he fashioned one, and as he got almost to the end, he took the, 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 the vessel that he was making and he just mushed it all back together again. And I looked at him and I was like, uh, what happened there? I said, you were almost done with it. And he said, there was a hard lump that I could not work out. There, there was an imperfection in the clay. There was something that came into the clay that marred the clay, and it affected what the potter could do with it. And can I tell you this, that I, I don't want us to ever get the mindset that just because we've trusted Christ as our Savior and we're saved, that it does not matter that we have purity in our lives. The truth is that we ought to be seeking to be as holy as we possibly can be. Are we ever going to become perfect in this life before we get to heaven, yes or no? No. We are human. But can I tell you this, there ought to be a striving in our hearts. There ought to be a burden in our hearts. There ought to be a pricking of the Holy Ghost in our hearts that moves us and drives us and pushes us and prods us to, to pursue holiness and purity. We live in a generation where they talk about purity being something that, that ought not be sought for. And people that strive for purity and pe people that strive for holiness are, are people that just don't understand the day and age that we live in. The truth of the matter is our country is in a lot of the mess that it's in because we have forsaken purity. We've decided that it no longer matters, that it's no longer important in our lives. But the truth is that there is an, a, an urgency for us to have a revival of holy living and pure living and people that are striving to live right according to God's Word. Why? Is it going to affect me being saved? No. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you're still going to heaven. Amen? Aren't we glad of that? Because we all fail Him. But it is certainly going to make a difference in the vessel that I become for Him. The more impure my clay is, the more marred and useless the vessel becomes. Is there an urgency? Is there a need in our lives to remain pure? Or is there a desire to live by the principles and the concepts of God's Word, His dictates and His commands to us? Oh, there ought to be. You know what my Bible tells me? I've heard people say, well, I just don't like all the rules and the restrictions. You know what my Bible tells me? The Bible teaches that when we're His child, it says this, that the commands of God are not grievous. You know, there is a yoke in the Christian life. 
But Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So many times people that don't have a heart for God or maybe they're not saved, they look at the Christian life and say, I don't know if I can handle all those rules of do's and don'ts. Can I tell you, that's the joy of the Christian life. It's not the limitation of it. I I shared this illustration so many times before. There are certain people that drive vehicles. How many of you here drive? (laughs) How many of you look at the speed limits? You know those those white signs on the side of the road? They are there for a reason, by the way. Uh, How many of you look at that as the minimum? That's the minimum you're supposed to go, and you better go more than that. How many of you look at that as the maximum? All right. By the way, if you look at that as the minimum, I'll tell you this. There's an anxiety in your driving that you don't even know is there. You know why? Because when you're going down the road, and that's the minimum, you're well above it. You're always looking over your shoulder to see where that sheriff's deputy is. Ooh, boy. And you're, and, and you're walking on pins and needles, like driving on pins and needles. Because, oh, I, I don't want to get caught. I don't, don't, don't want to get... You know where the greatest piece is in driving? Put your cruise on the speed limit and wave at the state troopers as you go by. Hey there, hope you're having a good day today. Good to see you. You know, and, and yet we do that in our lives. We take the rule, we cross the boundary... And then we wonder why we're anxious in our life. We wonder where the joy went, where the peace is of the Christian life. Can I tell you, the greatest peace that can be found is found in living in the very center of God's Word. The greatest joy, the greatest liberty that there is, is to know that I am in, 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 in lockstep with the Lord Jesus Christ. The things that please Him are the things that please me. The things that disappoint Him are the things that disappoint me. And and that's where the greatest joy and the greatest peace of the Christian life is. It's so much easier to drive down the road. Years ago, I I shared this story years ago. My wife and I were going on a trip, and uh, we were driving down the road. And I had driven, it was an 18- or 20-hour trip straight through. I'm tired. And finally, I couldn't take it anymore. I said, you've got to drive. And so I pulled over. She gets in the driver's seat. And I go over here and I uh, go to sleep. And I'm just dozing off. And all of a sudden here, I, I feel the brakes hit hard and I hear go, oh no, oh no. And I jerk awake and I'm wondering, what are we going to, you know, is there going to be an accident here? And all it was was a police car sitting on the side of the road and she thought she was going to get a ticket from it. About gave me a heart attack. If you'd asked her on that trip, she went to sleep and stayed asleep the whole time because there was no hitting the brakes. There was no, oh, no, what? she got to rest peacefully. Why? Because she was in, within the rules and the boundaries of the rules. Can I tell you this? We look at the, the, the commands of God. We look at the principles of God's Word so many times as something that is binding, that is restricting us. And the truth is, it's what gives us the great liberty that we have. It's the great joy that we have in living within those bounds. If I follow the principles of God's Word, I don't have to worry about wrecking my life in sin. If I follow God's rules, I don't have to worry about some of the diseases that go along in this world. I don't have to worry about facing jail time. I don't have to worry about some of the things that so many people have to worry about. Why? Because we're striving to keep the clay pure. We want God to make a beautiful vessel out of us. The second thing that I note about the clay is that it must be pliable. 
it must be pliable. There are times that we grow stagnant in the Christian life. We reach a particular point in our lives and we stay there and we never see anything new happen. We're no longer stirred. We don't have the joy of our salvation anymore. We, we don't see that spirit of revival. We don't have that great joy when we think of our salvation. There's no spiritual growth. And the truth is that the, the potter's sitting over there and he's kneading that clay, trying to get it in the, the right condition to be able to fashion. And the, the clay is being obstinate and is continuing to be uh, 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 not pliable and to be very, very stiff. And I remembered watching as as uh, as these uh, potters in, in Pigeon Forge were doing this thing, uh, that they would have a, a hardened lump of clay, and they would take that, and they would spend almost as much time uh, kneading it, rolling it over, kneading it, rolling it over. And then I noticed something. Occasionally, they would reach over into a pot of water, and they'd take some water, and they'd sprinkle it on the clay. And then they'd knead it some more. And they do that until that clay was pliable and ready to be fashioned. Can I tell you this, that there needs to be some spiritual water added to our lives. There needs to be that time that we spend with God in His Word and that relationship with God that adds that to our clay and allows our hearts to become pliable. There needs to be a walk in a growth in the Lord Jesus Christ that draws our hearts to a place of saying, Lord, not my will but Thy will. That we get to the place where we, our desire is that the Holy Spirit of God has free reign in our hearts and we're able to be sensitive to His leading in our lives. But sometimes it's going to take the kneading of the potter and the water of the relationship with Him and His Word to get that clay just as pliable as it can be. And can I tell you the third thing that I find about the clay is that there needs to be a patience in the clay. There are times that when the potter is fashioning the clay, not because of the potter's inability, but because of the clay's imperfections, he has to start all over again. There are times that we find in our lives where we are needful for the potter to have the opportunity to start the vessel all over again. Lord, I have messed my life up. I, I have gone my way for so long. I've become hardened to the things of the Lord. I have gone against the principles of Your Word. And there are times that that clay needs to come back to the potter and say, would you make me anew? Would you start over with me? Give me another chance. And can I tell you this? Aren't we glad we have a Savior that gives us another chance? Because <laughs> I'll be honest with you. If I was God and I knew somebody that was like me, I don't think I could do it. You ever, you ever mess up and sin and it bothers you? Anybody ever been there? And you go to God and you say, Lord, I'm so sorry for that. Oh, that just, I can't believe I did that. And it bothers me. And two weeks later, you do it again. You ever been there? Aren't you glad he can start over again? And sometimes it's going to take some patience. 
It's going to take the potter working this little spot out in the clay, making it to what he wants it to be. And then the clay gets something wrong with it and it messes up. You know, he comes back and he starts working it again. And aren't you glad you have a Savior that never gives up? The Apostle Paul, I believe it was, spoke about the fact that we need to be vessels of honor. Fit for the Master's use. We get saved. It doesn't make us more saved by doing these things. It just simply allows God to do as He sees fit with our life. It allows us to become more of what we ought to be for Him. When I was uh, much younger, we had a, just newly married, we had <clears throat> some china that uh, we had started collecting, a particular design, a particular brand. Some of you ladies know about that. Some of you men probably know about it too. Uh, any of you ever have to buy your wives something like that? Watching for plates? Nobody? I guess I was the only one. But it became known as the special china. And in fact, we bought a whole cabinet called a china hutch that was just for the special china. And you would think that the special china would be utilized for the people that you love the most, like your spouse and your children. But no. The special china was used for people many times that you didn't even hardly know. They were called company. I got the special china. It was called a paper plate most of the time. But there, was, there, was, there were the ordinary utensils that we got to use, the ordinary plates. There's nothing special about them. But there was a certain vessel in our house that had a distinct purpose and a special place, and it was only to be used in special occasions. And can I tell you this? There are vessels the Bible speaks of, of honor, ones that are set apart for a special use, and that is the use of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there are vessels of dishonor, ones that the, that the master comes to and looks at them and says, I cannot use these. I wonder often what kind of clay we are. Is there a purity in our clay? Is there a pliability in our clay? Are we willing to be molded by Him? And are we patient enough to let Him do with us what He longs to do with us? If you're here this morning you're saved, I would encourage you to think about these things. That there be a revival in our hearts of trying to be pure of yielding our will to the Lord Jesus Christ and being patient as He works in our lives. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word, what it teaches us. Lord, the truth is You own us. And Lord, we want Your will to be done in our lives. So often we take it into our own hands. Or we have impurities in our lives that hinder you from doing what you would long to do in our lives. Maybe a stubbornness, a rebelliousness towards you that stiffens us and causes us not to be pliable or moldable. Lord, maybe there's an impatience in us that we're not willing to wait upon you to form and fashion us into what you want. 
or we take it upon ourselves. Lord, if that be the case, I pray that you would help there to be a rededicating of ourselves and a yieldedness to you. That you would do and fashion in our lives the way that you would see fit. The way that would bring honor and glory to you. Lord, most importantly this morning, beyond anything that else could happen in this place, Lord, I pray that every person in here has had a time and a place in their life where they have trusted you as their Savior. I pray that you would draw the hearts of anyone this morning that does not know if they were to die right now that they would go to heaven. They've never had a time where they have trusted you with their soul and put their faith and trust in you. I pray that you would give us that opportunity to share the gospel with them this morning from your word, that they would make that decision for you and trust you this morning before they leave this place. Bless the invitation time and use it as you would see fit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed, I'm going to ask if you would not to look around. We want a very private time. We don't want to embarrass anyone. But if God has spoken to your heart today, we want to give you opportunity to come forward. We'll be glad to take the Bible and pray with you. If you're here and you're not saved, you say, Brother Greg, I don't know if I died right now that I'd go to heaven, but I'd sure like to know. I'd like to get that matter settled where I don't have to worry and wonder about it all the rest of my life. I can know that on this day Christ saved me. If you'd like to know that this morning, we'd sure love to have you come forward and let us take the Bible and show you how you can do that this morning. Our piano and organ are going to play a verse or two of a song, and if God has spoken to your heart, would you come this morning?